I want to speak to you today on the topic of two windows in time. Two windows in time. And uh, we're diving into a brand new series. And really, this series has been on my heart for a long time. This series was first laid on my heart probably 18 months ago, right around the time that we first entered lockdown in that season where uh, we watched a lot of movies as a family. Anybody else? And uh, one of those movies we watched was the Emoji Movie. Anyone seen the Emoji Movie? Some of you need to watch the Emoji Movie. Bit of background. So the Emoji Movie is basically emojis on your phone, which you send to each other as as a way of expressing emotion. The Emoji Movie is about uh, this one emoji, the meh emoji. Everyone say meh which basically is the apathetic emoji, is the emoji that feels nothing, that, that feels no emotion, that just expresses that, yeah, whatever, doesn't matter face. Uh, the met emoji realises that he's different from every other emoji, that every other emoji has just one emotion, but he has been created unique. And actually, he has this capacity to express all sorts of different emotions, not just meh. And he goes about this journey trying to discover his purpose. He thinks initially that he needs to return and and get rid of all these other emotions. But by the end of it, he realizes, no, that God has created him this particular way for a particular purpose so he can influence basically the internet. It's a fun little movie. But as I was watching that and and watching this, this meh emoji explore life and explore his purpose and his sense of um of well, like a sense of existence on the earth. Why was he here? I felt that little whisper of the Lord say, there's a word for this in my church. That my church would realise that they are made for more than meh. That the church would realise that it was birthed in tongues of fire. That the church is not supposed to be this apathetic people. The church is not an apathetic movement. The church is not a movement of men. No, the church is a movement of fire. The church is a movement of passion. The church, that the church would go from apathy to adoration. That we would go from coming along on a Sunday occasionally and consuming and actually have this deep conviction within us that God has a mission and a mandate and a purpose in instilling the church, that when he birthed his bride, he birthed his bride for a reason. And as I sat there and I thought about the church and I looked at the church, particularly in the West, I felt like God was saying, there is something on this that the, the, the apathetic church of the West needs to wake up. That it's time for the church to arise in this generation. It's time for the church to get its zeal back. Come on, somebody. It's time for the church to get its zeal back. And as I thought about this, the Lord sort of just directed me to a very familiar passage, which if you've been around church for a while, many of you would have read before, from 2 Samuel chapter 6, where King David is dancing before the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God is being brought uh, into the city of Jerusalem, David's new city. He's a new king. The Ark's being brought in and David's dancing before the Lord with all his might. We'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 6 from verse 12, where it says, Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom, which is where the Ark was, and everything he has because of the Ark of God. 
So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a a linen ephod, which is a priestly garment, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of of trumpets. A familiar passage, a passage that many of you have heard before, a great picture of this great king dancing before the Lord, full of zeal, full of passion, full of fire, with the, the entirety that the whole multitude of Israel, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people lining the streets, watching this king dancing before the presence of the Lord. It's this awesome picture. But then I kept reading and I saw something that I've never seen before. In verse 16, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, everyone say Michal, daughter of Saul, which is David's wife, the queen, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, I knew that Michal had despised David. I knew that this interaction went down, that there was David's queen uh, had this sort of thing against him, despised his passion. But what I had never seen before was the window. And when I read this sort of stuff, I sit and I'm like, what's with the window? Why is Michal watching from a window? Why is Michal not with David on the street? She's the queen. She's his wife. This is the the pinnacle moment of David's entire leadership. This is what he was purposed to do, a mosaic covenant type thing of ushering the presence of God into the people of God. This is such a significant moment in David's life. And Michal, his wife, the queen of Israel, isn't on the street. She's watching from a window. Why is she at the window? What's the significance of the window? And then I'm like, why is David dancing on his own? And then I thought that, and then my mind wandered to Callum Scott's version of Robin's song, Dancing on Your Own, where he got the gold buzzer from Britain Got Talent. Anyone? That's what my mind does sometimes. And then I go thinking, ah, oh, dancing. Anyway, it's a great song. YouTube it later. And then I come back to the God thought, and I'm like, what is with the window? What's with the window? Why is there a window? And if, if, Not a word is wasted in Scripture. If everything is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correction and training in righteousness, why does God mention the window? Is it just an irrelevant piece of detail or is there something significant about Michal standing at a window? Windows, what are windows for? What's the purpose of a window? Windows enable us to see through that which is immediately in front of us. Windows frame up a fresh perspective. They enable us to look beyond the immediate, beyond the walls there and and see beyond, see more deeply into the reality that is around us. There's something significant here about a window. And then the more that I thought about this and started thinking about why God would put this moment in there, why is Michal here? I realised something that this is not the only window in David and Michal's story. There's a second window, or I should say there's a first window. There's the window of 2 Samuel 6, but there's another window in 1 Samuel 19. And now I know that you're eager to get there, but in order to get there, let me just frame some things up for a minute. Because as we go to 1 Samuel 
19, in order for this to, to land, we actually have to do the groundwork and understand what's going on before it. You see, King David in 1 Samuel 16, David is a boy. He's probably anywhere from eight to 10 years old, history will tell us. And at the age of eight to 10, this young boy, David, is anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the future king of Israel. Eight to 10 years old, hold that in your mind. King Saul, Saul who has been the king of Israel, God has rejected Saul as the king. And so Samuel goes and anoints David at the age of eight to 10 years old. Flip the page, 1 Samuel 17, at the age of 13 to 15, David has an encounter with a giant called Goliath. A story that whether you're a church person or not a church person, you've heard before. He's 13 to 15 years old. And he's full of faith and he comes before Goliath and he kills Goliath. And as he kills Goliath, all of a sudden, this boy who was eight to 10, who was anointed, who nobody knew, the youngest in his family, just a shepherd out in the paddock, just looking after sheep. All of a sudden, the people of Israel start to take notice and they start to sing songs about him. And as, as he starts to grow in, in fame, and as you turn the page again and you go to chapter 18, what you see is that David is growing in stature. He's growing in favour with the people. He's, he's growing in influence. He's, he's now not just, uh, not just the kid who killed Goliath, but he, he becomes Saul's uh, son-in-law. That's a really interesting story, which involves 100 Philistines and their foreskins. You can read about it another time. But David in this moment, he's gone from this, this Nobody, this eight to 10 year old nobody, in the space of a few short years after his anointing, he slayed Goliath. He's now become the, the king's son-in-law. So he's married to, to Michal. He's married to the daughter of Saul and she loves him, it says. She, she adores him. She, she sees him like all the other probably women in all of Israel who want nothing more than to be with David and all the guys want nothing more than to be like David. He's winning their fame. He's now the, the general of the army. So he's leading the army. He's best friends with Jonathan, the heir apparent to the throne. Like everything is falling in line for David to walk out his anointing. And when you get to chapter 18, David is about 17 to 18 years old. So anywhere from eight to 10 years after that anointing, David is now, it looks like for David, the red carpet's being rolled out in front of him ready for him to step into what he was anointed for, ready for him to take up that mantle, become the coronated king of Israel. Everything is going well for David. You get to chapter 19 and everything changes. Now, this man, this man who's, who is if modern day vernacular, who's literally trending in society. Like if, if David in chapter 18 was living today, he'd have his face on a wheat bix box. He'd have a cologne or two. He'd have like 10 million subscribers to his YouTube channel. Like this guy is everywhere. Everyone loves him. Everyone adores him. He is growing in fame and acclaim. And yet chapter 19 comes and everything changes. Now put yourself in David's shoes for a minute. 
When God's anointed you at the age of eight to 10 years old and you're like, yes, I'm going to be king of Israel. I believe that anointing. When you've slayed a giant and people start to sing songs about you, when you can see the hand of God on your life, when you can see God moving the pieces, when you can see the fact that he's, he's not only given you the king's daughter, but he's now your best mates with the king's son. When you can see that the people are moving away from Saul and being drawn to you, you can see it goes, of course, God's about to make me king, right? It's been almost 10 years. That's a long time to wait. God's going to make me king. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I'm anointed to do. This is all going to happen. And then you get to chapter 19. And one word from an enraged Saul changes the course of his life forever. Because we read that Saul firstly throws a spear at David, not for the first time, and David's able to evade it. And then Saul basically sets siege to David's house to kill him. Watch this. Chapter 19, verse 11. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Watch this. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Everything falling into place and in a moment, everything changes. And friends, for the next 20 years from this moment, To 2 Samuel 6, David lives like a shadow amongst the people he's anointed to lead. This great king, this future king, this this anointed man of God who everybody's talking about, who everybody knows, literally in a moment disappears from the eyes of society. In a moment, he's hidden. Now, if you're the people of Israel, ponder this. 20 years, 20 years between the window at 1 Samuel 19 and the window at 2 Samuel 6. 20 years, 20 years between what looks like the the appointing and the moment where he steps into his purpose. 20 years mark this gap between the, the moment, the first window where David's presence is removed from the people of God and where God's presence is revealed to the people of God. 20 years of David in the hiddenness. 20 years. That's 30 years from his anointing to this moment in 2 Samuel 6. Some of us wait three months for God's promise to come through and we wonder where God is. David is hidden, literally hidden from the people. They are wondering, what's happened to David? Where's David gone? This guy who was running our our wars and our battles and creating great victories. What's happened? Where's David gone? He's just this shadow now. Every now and then you'd hear a whisper that something has happened. He's disappeared. He's hidden from the eyes of society. And for me, as I've sat here with this, I'm like, man, there's this powerful message in here for the church of God about, a season of hiddenness. That in order for the boy who killed Goliath to become the king who ushers God's presence into the great city of Jerusalem, first had to come a season 
of hiddenness. That God would seek to prepare David to become the person he needed him to be. And that preparation couldn't happen in a palace. That preparation couldn't happen in the, in the midst of the cheers and the shouts and the fame and the acclaim. No, no, that preparation, that preparation of who David needed to be had to be done in the secret place. That preparation had to be done away from all of that. That preparation had to be done in caves and nooks and crannies where God had to teach David so many things about what it meant to be the man of the anointing. And what we're going to do for the next however many weeks the Spirit kind of leads us to do it in is we're going to spend some time looking at the hidden years from 1 Samuel 19 through to 2 Samuel 6. We're going to dive in and we're going to see what is it that God was doing in David's life? What did David go through? What did he encounter? What is it that happened in him that prepared him for what God was calling him to? And just maybe what is it that happened to Michal? What happened in this time frame, these 20 years? What was God doing? Prepared for purpose, the hand of God in the hidden years. Because we don't want to be hidden. None of us want to be hidden. We live in a world where the only thing we want to do is the opposite of be hidden. Everyone wants to be seen. Even people want their breakfast to be seen. What if God's calling us to the opposite in order to prepare us for the very thing that we're anointed to do? The hand of God in the hidden years. So here's what we're going to do today in the time that we have together. We're going to dive in to this 2 Samuel 6 moment. And I want to pause and have a look at Michal and David. I want to have a look at these two windows. You see, at the first window... Michal so loves David and she is willing to risk her own life for the sake of seeing this man she loves set free. Amen. She's willing to give everything to see David step into his purpose. She knows that he's going he's gonna to take the throne. She knows that he's anointed for that. She loves him dearly, the scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 18. So her heart is for David. And so here she is, her own father, desperately seeking David's life, surrounds the house with his army and she lets him out through a window. She rescues David's life. She sets him free, not knowing what would happen to her. Like that's how passionate she is about David's purpose, yeah? But then in 2 Samuel 6, as she's at a different window, watching this same man who she once so dearly loved fulfilling the very purpose for which he was anointed. And it says she despises him in her heart. What has happened to Michal? What has happened to her over this 20-year period? What's gone on in her world? Why has she grown cold and indifferent to the things of God? What's happened to her that she would have once been so passionate about this, this man of God and now being despising him? That's a big gap, friends. From the love to despise. Despise is a, is a pretty full-on word. It's not that she was disinterested in him. She despised him in her heart. She despised everything that she was seeing. 
as David was dancing there before the Lord. What's happened to her? What's happened to David? I can't wait to explore this and I've got to be careful not to try and teach too much today. So we're going to look at just one little thing. So in order to, in order to dive into this, we're going to start at the second window. Because I think as we look through the second window, we're going to see something significant. You see, in 2 Samuel 6, as Michal, after despising David in her heart from verse 20, it says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. That's a fairly, uh, when your wife says that to you, that's a loaded statement, hey? As any vulgar fellow would. Now watch David's response. This gives us such a glimpse into what God's done for him in the last 20 years. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. I will celebrate before the Lord, before the Lord, before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you speak of, I will be held in honour. Oh, there's so much in this. Friends, as we look through this second window and we get a glimpse into what's gone on. You see, here's Michal, so different from what she was 20 years ago. And here's David, full of zeal and full of fire and full of passion about the Lord and what the Lord has called him to do. And as we look through this second window, what we realise is something has shifted. You see, Michal's interaction reveals something about what's happened in her life and David's response reveals something about what God's done in his life. And here's the interesting thing. Michal, although she despises David for dancing in this moment, we've got to realise that that wasn't the case. David's always been a dancer and a singer. Do you know, in 1 Samuel 19, at that first window, David wrote a psalm. In that moment, when Saul set siege to his house, David wrote a psalm and the psalm is Psalm 59. And here's what I couldn't help but thinking about. Imagine Michal in that moment. She's like, David, you've got to escape. My father's coming. He sent men. They're going to kill you. You've got to get out of here. And he's just like, hang on, babe. I'm just going to write a song. <laughs> and in that moment, like she, it, she doesn't despise him. She's not angry with him. You get like if you're writing a song and you're sort of trapped in a moment of tension, you can't help but imagine that she's probably right there with him writing the song together. They're probably sharing this moment. Let's go to Psalm 59. And read this. This is what David writes when he gets word that Saul is laying siege to his house to kill him. He says, deliver me from my enemies, O God. I don't know what tune it is. Put it to whatever tune you want. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. Doesn't it change it when you understand the context of what you're reading? Here they are surrounding. I've done no wrong yet. They're ready to attack me. Arise to help me. 
Look on my plight. I want you to pause on that. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you are the God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. And he goes on and we come to the end, verse 16. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. The morning was when he was supposed to be killed. I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you, God. You are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. As David goes into, as he broaches the most difficult season of his life, he writes a psalm that prophetically speaks into the nature of what the next 20 years would be for him that he would go to God as his fortress, that he would hide himself in Christ, that he would go to God, that he would not be running from Saul, he would be running to God, that God is the place where he would find refuge. And you see, what you realise is that David has a promise that he's holding on to and he runs toward that promise. He runs towards the presence of God. Michal, for 20 years after letting David out of the window, spends the rest of her life right there in the presence of her father. Why does Michal lose her passion? Why does Michal lose her zeal? And what I've realised in this is we shouldn't judge her. So often we read this and think, oh, what a traitor. How dare she? David's out there hiding and she's just given up on him. Think about it for a moment. She goes to all these lengths to let, like, to set David free, risk her own life. She probably in her mind assumes that David's going to come back for her. She loves this man. She's probably like, he'll come for me. He'll come for me. He'll take me with him. David never does. More than that, her father then gives her to another bloke. She becomes a pawn in this whole power struggle. And she's probably lived for 20 years listening to all the voices of the people that surround her. She's probably spent 20 years listening to Saul badmouth David. She's probably listened to Saul's men speaking lies about David. She's probably spent 20 years having negative thought, negative thought, negative thought, the enemy sitting on her shoulder whispering all these lies. And you can't blame her for growing a bit stale. And yet David is different. David also spends 20 years in suffering. David also is on the run. David also is struggling. David also is constantly under threat of death. And yet something's different about him where he could also have heard those whispers and grown stale. He also could have been like, God, where are you? What are you doing? And given up on that whole thing. Instead, he grows in zeal and passion and fervour for the Lord. And the key in it all is is in 2 Samuel 6, where he says, before the Lord, before the Lord who chose me, before the Lord, you see, Michal in this moment reveals something. She says how the king has uh, distinguished himself in front of all these slave girls. Who's Michal looking at? Michal sees a king disgracing himself in front of a people. Michal has world has become about everybody else and what they think. David doesn't see anybody. David doesn't see anyone. He's dancing in front of potentially a million people in a linen ephod. And yet he says, it's before the Lord. What are you talking about? 
I'm not dancing in front of these people. I'm not doing it for these people. I'm doing it for the Lord. And because of that, because of Him, because of what He's done, because He chose me instead of your Father, because He's moved in my life, because He's kept me for 20 years. He's kept me in the face of adversity, in the face of pressure, in the face of death itself. He has kept me. And so I will become even more undignified than this. I don't care about what that person thinks. I don't care about what that person thinks. I don't care about what this person thinks. All I care about is what he thinks because my worship is for the audience of one. My worship is for the King who came for me. My worship is for the one who set me free, the one who held me in times of trouble, the one who sustained me in my suffering. My worship is for Him and Him alone. And so He has a zeal in His heart because He understands who has kept Him. Michal has lost sight of the Lord in her loneliness, in her struggle, in midst of all the lies, somewhere along the line, it became about not what the Lord thinks, but about what all these people think. It's about keeping up appearances. It's about doing the right thing in everyone else's eyes. David's already lost his dignity. Friends, when you're living in a cave for 20 years, dignity dies. And there's a word for the Western church in this because we are a very dignified folk. We pray dignified, we dress dignified, we worship dignified, we do relationship dignified, we use a knife and fork dignified, some of us. Dignity has become a morality. Be seen to do the right thing, be seen to wear the right thing, be seen to say the right thing. And our eyes have become about what everybody else thinks and we have lost sight of the Lord. It's awfully quiet on this court today. This is burning in my heart, friends. This has been burning in my heart for 18 months. It's time to arise. It is time to realise and remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a nice story. It is the reality for humanity that apart from Him, we are dead. But in Him, we are alive. That the Son of God came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But my hope is in Him. That there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And He has come to set people free in the same way that He set the the earth early church free in the same way that he birthed the early church with tongues of fire and they moved with power and they moved with passion and they didn't care what the king of Rome was saying about them. They honoured the king of Rome, yes, but they moved in the call of God. The church needs to wake up and start moving in the things of God and realise if it hadn't been for the Lord, every breath is a gift from God. Right, this is a gift from God. It's all a gift from Him. And so He deserves our all. 
He deserves our everything. It's before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, Saul. It's before the Lord. It's before the Lord. Oh, that we would dance before the Lord. And if you're not a physical dancer, would you be a spiritual? Just your heart would dance before the Lord. That our hearts would be drawn to Him, that our eyes would be upon Him, that the things of this earth would go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You know, there's this beautiful psalm that David wrote in this season. As I said, we're going to explore all... This is just an introduction. If this is a book, this is only the introduction. We go, we're going to dive into this time between these two windows. There's so much for us to learn. And so much of that are in the Psalms that he wrote. Psalm 130, many scholars will believe that David wrote whilst hiding in a cave from Saul. This is what he says while in a cave... If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I wait for the Lord. What has is, what is God taught David in the hidden place? I think when you read all these passages, when you read the beginning of David's life, it says over and over again that the Lord was with David, that the Lord was with David, that the Lord was with David. And as I read the Psalms and explore the time between these two windows, I can't help but think God used the hiddenness to teach David what it meant to be with the Lord. Not just to say, come to me, come and fight my battles, come and be on my behalf, but actually say, no, no, I will wait for you. There's this other beautiful psalm that he wrote, Psalm 143, and the band can come up and the wind can stop blowing whenever it wants. Watch this, Psalm 143. Oh, this is so good. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. This is a man in a cave, escaping, fleeing for his life, in your faithfulness and in your righteousness. What's he holding on to? The promise of God. Do not bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart is dismayed. And then watch this. He says, answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fades. Do not hide your face from me or I'll be like those who go to the pit. Let your mourning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies for I hide myself in you. Another translation of that is, I flee to you to hide me. Another translation of that is, I will veil myself in you. For 20 years, David has learned to flee to God to hide him. There is value in the hidden place. There is purpose in the hiddenness. Do not let your hearts grow weary 
or grow cold on account of difficulty. Flee to God to hide you. He is preparing you for that for which He has called you to. David says, in your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, answer me. He says, I've got a promise. When I was eight years old, you gave me a promise. When I was 10 years old, you gave me a promise. When I was 15 years old, you revealed your power and you gave me a promise. And now 20 years later, I'm in a cave and I'm waiting for you, but I'm not letting go of your promise. I am not letting my circumstance dictate my future. I'm not letting my current situation dictate the position of my faith. I will fervently put my eyes upon you. I will come to you in your faithfulness. I will come to you in your righteousness. I will remember the works of long ago. I will hold fast to that which you have held fast to me and I will veil myself in you. And I wonder today if there's anyone right here sitting on this court outside who's been growing cold. Who's been growing indifferent. Whose hearts like Makala being drawn to everyone else and what everyone else thinks so consumed by keeping up with the Joneses, so consumed by maintaining the status quo, maintaining appearances, doing what, I, what, what everyone else wants me to do, listening to everybody else's opinion. And I wonder today if the Lord would come to us and He would say, it's time to veil yourself in Christ. It's time to come before the Lord. It's time to remember that you were born for an audience of one. An audience of one. God has not forgotten you. God has not forsaken you. God has not given up on you. He never will. Bible says even when we are faith unfaithful, He is faithful because He cannot deny Himself. If God's given you a promise, hold on to it. Hold on to it. You might feel like you're in the mire. You might feel like you're in the clay and it might be sucking you down and you feel like you barely got breath left. Veil yourself in Christ. Learn from Macal. Don't judge her. Learn from her. Learn from her. I can't wait to get in the cave with David. There's two windows in time. Two windows in time. And they're going to frame our perspective where we see something deeper. Two windows in time that as we look through, I believe God has a word for you right where you're at. He's preparing you for purpose. His hand is not apart from you. His hand is with you. He's not hiding from you. You are hidden in Him. 
you are hidden in Him. I flee to you to hide me. Church, would you stand to your feet? feel compelled this week to pray for some people because just personally I've been needing prayer myself you got to love it when God calls you to preach a message and he's preaching it to you how easy it is to look to the opinions of everybody else and forget that it's before the Lord I love to pray for some people in this place this morning those of you who right here, we're going to sing this song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Those of you who need to stop looking there and stop looking there and stop being swayed there and pulled over to this side, who stop, need to stop being driven by the winds of change and stop being blown left and right. But like David, come back to that only hope, the only hope, the only hope. That's it. The only hope. The great curse of the West is our comfort. Just like Makalu lived her days in palaces and nice houses, it's so easy to be distracted. David had nothing else. And that was for his good and for God's glory. So if you want prayer, I want to encourage you right now, wherever you are, you can close your eyes and just pop your hand up and we'd love to pray with you. If you're like, I want the fire of God in my life. I want renewal. Thank you, Lord. I want to start moving again. I want my eyes back on Him. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church community. Father God, we thank you that your heart is with us, that your heart is for us. And Father, I thank you for these two windows in time. Father, I pray for us as a church, for every person here, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would come and you would encourage us today, Lord, that even if we feel like we're in the cave, even if we feel like we're in the season of hiddenness, Lord God, that we would be so stirred by your Spirit to trust in you, that it would be before the Lord only, that it would be our eyes upon you, God, you would renew our focus. We would renew our minds. God, that you would light the fire of your zeal in our hearts again. Lord, replace the lamp of our first love that once burned so bright and clear. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Teach us, Lord. Teach us what it means to flee to you to hide us. Teach us what it means to veil ourselves in you. Teach us not to despise the hidden years. to surrender ourselves to you in the midst of them. To seek first your kingdom and its righteousness.
grow us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Prepare us, Lord. Prepare us, Lord, for the things you're calling us into. That we too, when you choose to bring us out, would be like David, unashamedly dancing with joy before the presence of the Lord. For you are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And gosh, we're excited about what it is that you are going to say over the next couple of months. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.